Good evening, everyone. It's good to be with you here this weekend at Advent Hope. I'm so excited to be with you here this weekend. I hope that you are too. Happy Sabbath. It's good to be here once again. Uh, As uh, what was mentioned earlier on, this weekend, I'm just going to project and give you uh, some ideas, just a a forward projection about what to expect this weekend. This weekend, I'm going to be talking about the sanctuary series, uh, the sanctuary service, I should say. And of course, the sanctuary doctrine is uh, so profound, so complex, and uh, a few days won't be suffice enough to actually go through every intricate detail of the sanctuary. And wouldn't you agree with that? There is so much you could learn from the sanctuary message. So I've just kind of narrowed it down where I'll be talking about the sanctuary service. In particular, five types of offerings. How many did I say? Five particular types of offerings that I will begin talking about uh, this weekend. And that will be the burnt offering, uh, the trespass offering, the sin offering, the meat offering, and the grain offering. And uh, tomorrow's divine worship, I'm going to be talking about Aaron's investiture and what that that really means. Uh, One thing that I have found in my studies of the services, now of course we can approach the sanctuary from... Uh, the, the different types of furniture and what it means, uh, but uh, I want to just dwell on those five, those five types of offerings. And I want to begin this evening by preluding to you hopefully something practical. Uh, I believe as I study the sanctuary, and you would probably agree with me, that, that God wants us to reflect His character. Amen? Uh, that's, that's God's ultimate desire uh, for his people, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus, that they will uh, perfectly reflect his character, to be of one mind with him. And so I want to prelude uh, this weekend's series by talking about the mind of Christ. So before we begin, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Great and eternal Father in heaven, we ask for your Holy Spirit not only tonight, but for the remainder of this weekend. Uplift our hearts, our thoughts, and our minds to you. This is our humble prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know as much as I do that there is a battle going on, isn't there? A battle of the great controversy. A battle between truth and error. A battle between good and evil. One of the unique things about this battle is that you won't hear about this warfare on CNN. They won't tell you about this kind of warfare. This is not a warfare over ideologies, or this is not a warfare over oil or land. This is a very unique kind of warfare. It's not a warfare that's fought over in the Middle East somewhere, but this battle of the warfare is a battle over our mind. The battle of the great controversy is the battle, yes, between truth and error, but more than that, it's the battle over our mind, who we will give our allegiance to. The pen of inspiration makes it very clear, dear friends, that out of our mind come our actions. Our actions lay the foundation of our habits. When you repetitively do something, it becomes a habit. Then she furthermore goes on to say that our habits lay the foundation of our character and our character determines our destiny. But it all begins in the mind. You see, the battle of the great controversy is the battle over who we give our allegiance to. Satan is not so much concerned about our character. Satan is not really concerned about our action. What Satan wants first and foremost is our mind. 
Because once he has our mind, he has our characters. He's not concerned about our destiny. He's concerned about our mind. Because once he has our mind, he has our destiny. So the battle of the great controversy is the battle of our mind. And, 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 uh, and we need to be very careful what we, what we feed our minds. And with that in mind, I believe that's why it is so imperative that Paul's message in Philippians chapter 2 states, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. There's a great controversy motif found right there in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Somehow, Paul must have knew about the battle of the great controversy being the battle of our mind. Because once you have the mind of Christ, you will have the character of Christ. Once you have the mind of Christ, you will have the actions of Christ. And finally, once you have the mind of Christ, you will ultimately have the destiny of Christ. Now that's clear. Can you say amen? amen. Thus from that perspective, from the battle of the great controversy, and as we're going to talk later on this weekend, the sanctuary message pointing us to have the mind of Christ. The question I'd like to submit to your attention this evening is, how do we have the mind of Christ? How does one have this mind? The mind that was also found in Jesus. If you have your Bibles with you, come with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verses 5 to verse 8. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verses 5 to verse 8. The Bible reads, Let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Jesus. Christ Jesus. Who, notice what Paul says. He states the fact. He states the imperative. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If we glean that in and of itself, is it possible to have the mind of Christ? Yes. Absolutely. That Paul wouldn't say, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Then Paul begins to break down in verses 6 down to verse 8 what this mind really is. You really don't have to go anywhere outside of book, the book of Philippians chapter 2 to find out what the mind of Christ is. Paul mentions it right there with verses 6 down to verse 8. Then he continues to write under inspiration, who... Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of what? No reputation. Notice that. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made... In the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he what? Humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of Christ. Notice the mind here. Paul states the imperative, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Then Paul begins to break down what that mind is. 
to be of no reputation, to be a servant, to be humble, and to be obedient. Now if that's clear, can you say amen? amen? To be of no reputation, to be a servant, to be humble. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, brothers and sisters, I had to ask myself, what do we call these qualities? What do we call these qualities? To be of no reputation, to be a servant, to be humble, to be obedient. The Bible is clear that these qualities are known as character qualities. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, to be of no reputation, to be a servant, to be humble, and to be obedient. In other words, what Paul is simply stating is saying, to have the mind of Christ is to have the character of Christ. And we can conclude on that right there in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Having the mind of Christ is synonymous with having the character of Christ. That's what these qualities are, uh, are, are referred to. I love the pain of inspiration. How about you? Amen. Notice what she says concerning this very same fact. She says, Having the mind of Christ, his followers reveal the what? The graces of his character. Isn't that interesting? The same Holy Spirit that inspired Paul is the same Holy Spirit that inspired the servant of the Lord. And even she herself says that to have the mind of Christ is to have the character of Christ. Exactly what Paul had broken down in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Having the mind of Christ, his followers reveal the graces of his character. She too makes it a synonym, uh, a synonym, the mind of Christ and the character of Christ. Then she says, nothing short of this will make men acceptable to God. Nothing short of this will give them the pure, holy character that those must have who are admitted to heaven. There are two points we could glean from what Ellen White says in that previous statement. First of all, we can conclude, safely conclude, that to have the mind of Christ is not optional, but a necessity. Can we safely conclude on that? Yes. Nothing short of this will make men acceptable to God. That's an imperative. That's not a suggestion. That's a necessity. What do you say? Yes. Secondly, we can safely conclude as we glean what the pen of inspiration says, that to have the mind of Christ is to have the character of Christ. Those are two things we can safely conclude from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, and what the pen of inspiration says. It is not optional. It is a necessity. I pray that each and every one of us, here under the sound of my voice this evening, will be found having the character of Jesus Christ when he comes in the clouds of glory. 
The next question I had to ask myself, and I think that's very important for us to ask ourselves as we study this vital topic about having the mind of Christ, how can we obtain the mind and the character of Christ? Isn't that a fair question? How can we obtain the mind and the character of Christ? Notice, we really don't have to go far outside of the book of Philippians. We can stay within the context of Philippians chapter 2. And Paul just lays it out right there in verses 12 to 13. As we continue to read Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 in its context. The Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. This is still Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation. Is having the mind of Christ a salvational issue? Absolutely. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now let me hit the pause button right here. Paul is simply stating that to have the mind of Christ, one must work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, there is a part that we must play if we're going to obtain the mind of Christ. Amen? But he just doesn't end there. He continues to read. He continues to say, For it is God which worketh in you. Then Paul goes on to say, Not so much is it a part that you must play, there is also a part that God must play. Doesn't it say somewhere in the pen of inspiration that human effort plus divine power equals success? So to have the mind of Christ, there are two vital components. There is a work that you must play and there is a work that God must play. Both of these components are vital to obtaining the mind of Christ. For if we just, say, if we just conclude that everything is dependent on human, then it's a little bit legalistic and pharisaical, isn't it? If we, safely, if we conclude that everything depends on God, then that's dangerous too, isn't it? But there is a role that man must play, and there is a role that God must play. Human effort plus divine power. Furthermore, notice, what are some obstacles in reaching or hindering us from receiving the mind of Christ? What are some things that hinder us, hinder God's people? From receiving the mind of Christ. Notice what she says here. As Ellen White comments on Philippians chapter 2. She says. By conversion and transformation. Men are to receive the mind of Christ. It is only when one is converted and transformed. That they could receive the mind of Christ. Thus. The pain of inspiration tells us that the number one hindrance that barricades us from receiving the mind of Christ is unconversion. Wouldn't that be safe to conclude? She says it right there. It is only by conversion and transformation that one can receive the mind of Christ. Therefore, what hinders God's people from receiving the mind of Christ is being unconverted and being transformed. Furthermore, she continues to read. She continues to say, Mind, Character, and Personality, Volume 2, as she comments on Philippians 2. 
for us to imitate the example of any man, even one whom we might regard as nearly perfect in character, would be to put our trust in a defective human being. Two points. Two points that the pen of inspiration tells us that hinder us from receiving the mind of Christ. Number one is being unconverted. Only by conversion and transformation can one receive the mind of Christ. One can be a Nicodemus, have all the externals of what it means to be an Adventist, but unless there is genuine conversion in their mind and in their heart, one cannot receive that mind. That is imperative. Being unconverted is hindrance number one. Number two, not focusing on Jesus. Did you catch that? She says, for us to imitate the example of any man, even one whom we might regard as nearly perfect in character, would be to put our trust in a defective human being. So two things that hinder God's people. One, unconversion. And number two, not focusing on Jesus. I pray that each and every one of us will keep our hearts and our minds riveted on the cross. What do you say? And as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, I pray that our hearts and our minds will be riveted in the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary because that's where Jesus is at right now even as we speak. Unconversion and not focusing on Jesus, the Lamb of God. We all know this. We all know this. What determines our character? Remember, having the mind of Christ is having the character of Christ. If the thoughts are wrong, the feelings will be wrong. And the thoughts and feelings combined make up the what? The moral character. In heavenly places, 164. What is Christ's standard for our characters? Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I believe that this is Christ's standard as I study the Bible and the spirit of prophecy when it comes to character. Christ admonishes us to be perfect. One of my greatest... uh, quotes from the pen of inspiration that I find comfort and hope in is when she says, I believe it's in their book, Sons and Daughters of God. The hardest lesson for man to learn is to learn that God means what he says. Wouldn't that be true? The hardest lesson for man to learn is to learn that God means what he says. My dear friends, if God says we can be perfect, we can be perfect. Amen? We need to stop that rationalizing and twisting and the intellectualizing of the word of God. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, I, I realize and I understand that the word perfect and perfection is a scary word in Adventism. Isn't it? It's a scary word, a misused word, a misunderstood. But I'm going to share with you, I'm going to share with you in the next few slides how I have found in the Bible and in the pen of inspiration uh, the three forms of perfection. A lot of times we get it mixed up. First of all, the Bible and the spirit of prophecy often refers to what is known as absolute perfection. 
Absolute perfection is when, is when you cannot make a mistake at all whatsoever. Absolute perfection. Absolute perfection is a prerogative that belongs to God. That's what makes God, God. Amen? That's absolute perfection. And when we read Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, and it says, Let this uh, be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, automatically we think of absolute perfection. But I'm going to show to you from the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy that that's not actually what God is referring to. Absolute perfection is a prerogative that belongs to God. That's what makes God who He is. Then the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy often refers to as nature perfection. What kind of perfection? Nature perfection. Now the Bible says that we have ingrained over 6,000 years of sin, whether you like it or not. Ingrained into our very fiber, ingrained into our very nature, ingrained into our very molecule of our makeup is over 6,000 years of sin. We have a sinful nature. But just because we have a sinful nature doesn't make us guilty or condemned because sin is actually a choice. And the Bible teaches us that this sinful nature that we have inherited from Adam and Eve will only become perfected at the second coming of Jesus. When corruption shall put on incorruption. Amen? So there's absolute perfection. Then there's that that belongs to God. Then there's nature perfection that only occurs at the second coming of Jesus. Then there's the third and the final perfection, which is known as character perfection or maturity perfection. Conversion and growth in the life of the believer. So I believe when Jesus be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, he's not referring to absolute perfection because that's a prerogative that belongs to God. He's not referring to nature perfection, the the, the nature that we have inherited from Adam and Eve, because that will only be perfected at the second coming of Jesus when corruption shall put on incorruption. But he's referring to character perfection, character maturity. At every step of the life of the believer, as long as they live up to according to what they know, at that particular stage, in God's eyes, that person is perfect. Notice what Christ's object lesson says in page 65. The germination of the seed represents the beginning of spiritual life. And the development of the plant is a beautiful figure of Christian growth. She's talking about here sanctification and the Christian growth. As in nature, so in grace, there can be no life without growth. Wouldn't you agree? The plant must either grow or die. As its growth is silent and imperceptible, but continuous. So is the development of the Christian life. Then she says, at every stage, at what stage? At every stage of development of our life, at every stage of development, our life may be perfect. That's not absolute perfection. That's not nature perfection. That's character maturity perfection. What do you say? 
Is it possible to be perfect? Absolutely. At every stage of our life, we can be perfect. That doesn't sound too scary to me. How about you? That sounds reassuring to me. That sounds comforting to me. Let this mind, this character be in you. But not just ordinary character, character perfection. At every stage of development, our life may be perfect. Yet, if God's purpose for us is fulfilled, there will be continual advancement. One of the things that I love about the Christian walk is the beauty of growth. I believe we should appreciate growth more often. Amen? When I'm dealing with an erring person or I'm dealing with a believer, sometimes I don't look at the standard, I look at the growth process. And in my mind, as long as they are growing, that's what matters to me. They may not have reached the standard at that particular point, but as long as there is growth, the Holy Spirit is working in the life of that person. That's the beauty of growth. What do you say? Character perfection. Why do we need to have a perfect character? I've often talked to people and they say, Doug, what's the big deal? What's the big deal with this character perfection issue? Why can't we just leave it alone? This is the big deal. Desire of Ages, page 671. The honor of God, the honor of Christ, is involved in the perfection of the character of his people. The honor of God is a big deal to me. What do you say? The honor of Christ. Failure on this point turns people off from God and his church. Failure to live up to the light at that stage that you're living in turns people off from God and from his church. The honor of God, the honor of Christ, and the honor of his church is connected to the perfection of God's people. What do you say? Amen. How can we obtain character maturity and perfection? I believe that there's only one example, and that's Jesus Christ. Didn't we just establish a few minutes ago that we must keep our eyes riveted on Jesus? He is our example. Notice what Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 9 says. Hebrews, the fifth chapter, verses 7 to 9. It reads, Who in the days of his flesh, that's Jesus, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. In other words, Jesus in his flesh had to agonize in prayer and in communion with God. Though he were a son, though he had taken on human flesh, he still had to struggle with prayer. Would you agree? Touched with the feelings of our infirmities, the Bible says. Prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Then the Bible reads, Though he were a son, yet learned he what? Obedience 
by the things which he suffered. Did Jesus have to suffer in his flesh? Absolutely. Did Jesus have to struggle in his flesh? Absolutely. And by his example of wrestling with God in prayer and suffering in his flesh, what happened? What did he obtain? And being made perfect. Though he came in fallen human flesh, he still had to struggle and suffer as a man. And through this trials of suffering and wrestling with God, he became perfect. If Jesus could do that, you and I could do that too. In the same fallen flesh as Jesus. What do you say? It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a struggle. But the great hope is that Jesus is our example. Notice, Acts and Apostles, page 531. She says, In His humanity, we just read that Jesus in His flesh, she says, In His humanity, perfected by a life of constant resistance of evil, the Savior showed that through cooperation with divinity, human beings may in this life attain to what? Perfection of character. This is God's assurance to us that what? We too may obtain partial victory. Complete victory. Can you say amen? We have that assurance that if Jesus in his nature, in his flesh, had to struggle, that he has made it possible for you and I to go through the exact same thing. Complete victory. Then she says, and what agreement, though this is, uh, this is 2 Corinthians. How can we obtain character maturity? 2 Corinthians Chapter 6, verses 16 to 18, and then chapter 7 and verse 1. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Isn't that a beautiful promise? God has promised us from the establishment of the sanctuary that it has been His desire from the beginning of time to dwell with mankind. Ever since sin had entered into this planet, the Bible says that sin had separated us from God. Thus, because we have the sin problem, God gave us the sanctuary. What do you say? And that's what we're going to be talking about later on this weekend. God gave us the sanctuary. For it is in the sanctuary that God desires to dwell with us. And thus it has been the desire of God to dwell with us. That's the beautiful promise. He promises, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, notice the sequential order of the book of uh, Corinthians here. He says, wherefore, come out from among them and be what? Separate. Friends, you cannot be separate unless God is dwelling in you. Notice the order here. 
He says, once God dwells in you, and you become his people, then separation from sin is possible. There's no way you can be separate from sin if God is not dwelling in you. That's the condition. That's the promise. Be ye separate under the condition that God is dwelling in you, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Then we have that promise. Notice what the Bible says. Having therefore, what? These promises. Having therefore these promises. What promises is Paul referring to here? Notice the context. He's referring to the promises of God dwelling in you. He's referring to the promise that ye can be separate. So once he has made these promises, then he says, Having therefore these promises, dear beloved, let us what? Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Cleansing from sin is only based on God's promises. What are those promises? God dwelling in us. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Is it possible to be perfect? How? Paul says here, when we have these promises in our hearts. Amen? Once we have those promises, the promises of God dwelling in us, the promises of being separate from the world, then the perfecting of the holiness of God's character becomes possible. I love the word of God. How about you? Isn't it simple? Having therefore these promises, the promises of God. Notice what counsels to teachers, parents and students. Page 454. It simply reads, God teaches them that the perfection of character he requires can be attained only by becoming familiar with his word. This mind of Christ can only be attained by becoming intimately acquainted with God's word. How many of us have become intimately acquainted with the word of God? She could have said, That character perfection can be attained by becoming familiar with the spirit of prophecy. But that's not what she says. Amen? She says becoming familiar with the word of God. Intimately associated with the word of God. I pray that we as God's people will be a people who become intimately acquainted with the word of God. How about you? And throughout this whole weekend, if there's one desire in my heart, one intention that I propose to accomplish is to point you to Jesus, prepare you for the soon return, and to have the, mind of, have the word of God riveted in, our, riveted in our mind. Jesus is coming for people who are intimately acquainted with his word. What are you saying? Amen. The last great delusion, this is in great controversy. I love this verse. I love this piece of uh, writings of Ellen White. The last great delusion is soon to open before us. 
Antichrist is to perform his marvelous works in our sight. So closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except through the Holy Scriptures. None but those who have fortified their mind with the Word of God will be able to stand in the time of trouble. When you have fortified your mind with the Word of God, you will reflect the character of Jesus. And it is only the character of Jesus that will sustain you in the time of trouble. That's the only way we will distinguish between truth and error. Amen? So closely will the counterfeit resemble the truth that it will be impossible to distinguish between them, but only through the Holy Scriptures. Jesus is coming soon. What do you say? I want to be ready when Jesus comes. How about you? I want to reflect that character. I want to have that mind, not any ordinary kind of mind, but the mind of Jesus, that perfect, attainable character. Let us bow heads for a word of prayer. Great and everlasting Master in heaven, we thank you for the simplicity of your word. We thank you for the encouragement of the pen of inspiration. We thank you for the beautiful gift that you have given to your people. Lord, it is our desire this evening to have your mind, to reflect your character. We long to see you come in the clouds of glory. Bless us and guide us at every stage of our Christian walk that we will be fulfilling every demand and request that you required of us. Hide us behind the cross and empower us. Dismiss us with your blessing and bring us safely again tomorrow as we continue to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everybody say, Amen, amen and Amen.